Let's say hello to someone, then be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you for the good singing. Amen. A good start tonight. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here. I am excited about what the Lord has been doing. We're going to be going to prayer after a while. Uh, before I say anything else, let me just welcome our guests. I know we've got guests who are viewing tonight because I talked with some on the phone. They're going to start watching tonight. And so uh, everybody on three say hello. One, two, three. Hello, all of you viewers out there. God bless you. And uh, we're, we're saying a special uh, welcome to our military. Uh, these are days when we honor our military living and those who have passed on. This past uh, Sunday, we had our Memorial Day observance. And uh, Sister Virginia talked about the impact that when we played taps and had that moment of silence, it had such a meaningful moment for folks as they think about uh, what price was paid for the freedoms, the God-given unalienable rights that we exercise, but somebody paid with their blood. And, uh, of course, the greatest sacrifice, Jesus paid with His blood for our salvation and our victory. We have power through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, anyway, it's, uh, it's good to have those that are viewing from the military and keep inviting others to watch, and they can archive, they can go back and watch all of the old uh, as well as the new. And those that are online for the first time, God bless you, welcome. You're going to have a great time. This is not, listen, we've been doing this for a little over a year. We're not experts at this, but we, we have a handle on what we believe God wants us to accomplish. Uh, I want to tell the truth, I want to speak the truth in love, and I don't want to put you to sleep. So let's accomplish all those goals tonight. Amen? Amen. It is good to have our missionaries who come through uh, even though we've not officially had a missions conference since this whole thing started uh, way back when in 2020, but we've had a constant stream of folks coming through, and we're so glad they do. And we've got here with us visiting tonight on the way to somewhere else always, uh, Brother Leon Lucas, Sister Teresa Lucas, uh, Master Builder to the or Builder to the Master. What do you, how do you call that? Builder to the Master Builder. And doing a great ministry, not only with their hands, but with their hearts and with their mouths and as they're witnessing for the Lord, a great job. Sister Teresa is greatly in demand as a speaker for ladies' events now. And uh, she's speaking around different places, and, and so praise the Lord. And she's laughing at me, I think, but uh, it's all right. You know, I, my people uh, do that all the time, so that's not unusual. So there you go. If you're glad to see the Lucases tonight, let's give them a hand. Amen? Amen. Praise God. When we go offline, we'll receive a special offering if you'd like to participate in that and uh, help them on their way just to show them a little extra love tonight. Uh, we're glad that they're with us. We have already received far more from their being with us than we could ever offer them. So thank you so much for being here. How many of you have, have traveled in the last week? Raise your hands. How many of you had a chance to be outside this area? How many of you would say it felt different? It felt different, didn't it? Yeah, it felt different. There are all different degrees, and there is no returning to normal. It's all out in the future, and it's whatever the Lord enables us by His grace to do. What we have discovered here is that, well, it's like Viktor Frankl 
said. I, I read his book, In Search of, of Man's Meaning, Purpose. Um, he was a survivor from the World War II Holocaust concentration camps. And he said, you can't, you can't change, you can't even impact the circumstances. The circumstances are going to happen. And abnormal circumstances are responded to in abnormal ways. It, it's never, you can never respond to abnormal circumstances in the old normal way. It's just, it's not the human response. That's not how it's done. Now, we've got a God who is bigger than the circumstances. We don't worry about it. Christ is bigger than COVID. Amen. Amen. And uh, bigger than the world, the flesh, and the devil. But Viktor Frankl said this, the one last thing that nobody, no oppressor, no enemy, nobody can take from you is your power to choose. Amen. Nobody can take that from you. you. Say, well, they'll hold you down, put a gun to your head, they'll threaten your kids, they'll threaten your wife, or whatever. But in your heart, Nobody can make you choose. That is left to the individual. And you know what? We can choose to be better or get bitter about things. And I choose by the grace of God to get better. And this church is going to get better. It'll be, what's the word you use, Brother Lucas? A paradigm. It's going to be a different paradigm. It's going to be different. But you know what? By the grace of God, it's going to be better. It's not going to be like it always was. It's not going to look like it always used to look. But I tell you what, until Jesus takes us home, until we get raptured out of here head first or carried out feet first, we're going to continue to serve the Lord. When he says go, we're going to go. And where he says go, we're going to go there. And if he says speak, we're going to speak. And we're going to do what God wants us to do. Thank you for joining us. You're part of a service here that's I can just, I can feel, I can sense. I'm not being spooky or charismatic here. I can just... Sense what God is doing. God is doing something wonderful here. And through people, He's doing it. We said six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, I was contacted. We needed to raise money for a building. You can build a church building in Kenya, West Africa for $9,000. And a new church needed to be built. And none of the supporting pastors uh, responded. So the man that was raising the funds for our missionary, Brother Daniels, Jerry Daniels, called me back and said, we didn't raise any money. I said, how much is it? And he told me what it was. And I said, let me pray about it. And the Lord said, it's going to be all right. And I brought it to the people. Now I want you to know, oh, me of little faith. I know the Lord can supply. I know that he would supply. I know that he would supply. I just, you know, I just, you know, I was a little shaky about it. Do you know how that is? You get the shakes. I was a little shaky about it. I said, we need to raise $9,000 and we need to do it in six weeks. Guess what? Five weeks and six days got raised. God's never early. God's never late. He's always right on time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, people. And folks have been continuing to give, and so now that's rolled over into project number, what are we on, nine now? Number nine. Number nine. And God opened my heart to a possible project that we're going to introduce to you. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about it this weekend. Keep on giving to that. But I want to commend you for being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We've done like we did in our study of, of Ephesians. We've been through Galatians, Ephesians, now we're in Philippians, and we're putting on the whole armor of God. The devil doesn't like what's going on here. So he is going to try to stop it every possible way that he can. Uh, don't listen to the devil. He's a loser. He's already been defeated. Uh, we don't have the sentence being carried out yet, but it's 
going to happen, going to happen. I'd like to congratulate the Coelhos, that's Jeber and Dion, and they have been serving the Lord uh, in Brazil for these many years, uh, 21 years as a pastor, 33 years as a missionary church planter, that is a total of 54 years, and now they're moving into a kind of a semi-retirement. And what we do with widows, we do with retirees as well. We're going to continue to support uh, unless God gives us some other guidance or direction in that. These faithful servants of the Lord, the Coelhos, serving the Lord all this time. Praise God for them. And uh, I salute you. God bless you. Thank you for your faithful giving. But it is well worth it. It is well worth it with the ministries uh, that have been started down there. These folks are exceptionally, uh, you know, in... In, the, in Latin America, you see a lot of rapid activity and you see a lot of fireworks. These people uh, are excited and they're enthusiastic, but they're as solid as anybody you've ever met anywhere in the world. And those are the kind of missionaries that we support. We're very thankful for them. And so tonight uh, we recognize them and commend them and say, God bless you. We are going to do everything we can to continue to support those who have served the Lord so faithfully. Take your Bible out. Take your Bible out and hold it up. Take your Bible out and hold it up. You out there that are viewing on television or on your device, hold it up. Hold your Bible up. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Say it. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe there are no mistakes in it. I believe there are no mistakes in it. And God helping me, and God helping me, I'm going to try to obey it. I'm going to try to obey it. Amen. And amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of Philippians. Paul was in jail in Rome. He was, he was um, shackled to a soldier on each side. And they kept changing him out. These were members of the Praetorian Guard, the highest ranking military personnel in Rome. And he kept winning them to Jesus, and they kept changing them out. Even won members of the household of Caesar. And that, you talk about taking lemons and making lemonade. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. And we have already seen the first eight verses, and I want us to, uh, to just give our attention to, uh, well, the sword of the Lord. All right, here you go, Sword of the Lord. And in the Sword of the Lord that came today, there is a reprint by Dr. Lee Robertson, my friend now in heaven. It says, Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Now some people do not get much from Paul's writing because they do not share his convictions. They fail to see what Paul was doing, and so they get little from his writings. He says, Paul, as a fundamentalist, he believed the Word of God. In this day, so many would call him rabid, narrow-minded, a man with an evil spirit. I've heard all this. One who has no part in this day because of his fundamentalism. Many of our modern day religious leaders would have to turn away from the Apostle Paul because they could not receive his plain, practical, definite, distinct teachings. A fundamentalist believes the Bible from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> he believes the word of God. The fundamentalist believes the Bible is verbally inspired. That is all the word of God was given by the Lord, every single portion of it. Fundamentalists receive and believe the entire word of God. He goes on to talk about his church being made up of fundamentalists. 
But he says Paul was a fundamentalist because, one, he believed in the worthiness of Christ. Put it down, the worthiness of Christ. Number two, he believed in the wretchedness of sin. And number three, he believed in the blessedness of salvation. So he believed in the worthiness of Christ, the wretchedness of sin, and the blessedness of salvation. And he uses uh, in this message, Dr. Robertson quotes the writings of the Apostle Paul by inspiration. I don't want to take the time. You can read it for yourself in the sword of the Lord. He was a fundamentalist. But as I have said for the past two weeks in our study of Philippians, that the ministry is all about people. It's all about what God does by His grace in and through the lives of people. We've got pastor, deacons, we've got the Apostle Paul and Timotheus, and we've got people in the church at Philippi, which began when Paul followed the Macedonian vision and he went across into what is now Europe and began to win souls, found some women that had a heart toward God, they just didn't know the Lord Jesus, and he led them to Christ. He cast a demon out of a soothsayer, young girl. She got saved. They got thrown into jail, got beaten unlawfully. An earthquake came, and instead of running for their lives, they won the jailer and his family and baptized them. And this was the nucleus of the Philippian church, a church which suffered and rejoiced anyway, a church which was generous in spite of the difficulties. You know, I love it. I love the fact that by God's grace, by the wherewithal that He provides, we can be what God would have us to be in spite of, whatever, fill in the blank. In spite of. It's, we're not going to allow the because ofs of this world to limit what God can do. Instead, we're going to claim the promises of God, and we're going to claim those promises in spite of everything else and everything that comes against what God is trying to do and what God will do through us if we'll allow Him to do that. We come to verse number 9 of Philippians chapter 1. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Here we have Paul the fundamentalist. Paul who was just as, as rock-ribbed and hard as can be against sin and against things that are wrong and uh, all those things that need to be preached about. And yet, he's talking about folks loving. He's talking about not only that they love, but that that gets ratcheted up a notch. Not some kind of ethereal good feelings alone. What I believe does make me feel good. But being, you know, feeling good is, is not love. Feeling, feeling warm-hearted is not love. That's not love at all. Love involves commitment. Love involves the will. Love involves decision-making, the thing that nobody can take from you. The choice that you can make down deep, there it is. And so here we have uh, this fundamentalist who wields the sword so efficiently, saying, and I pray that your love may abound, that it may grow, overflow more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Why? Because God is love. God is the source of love. And we have God's love in us. 
and the practical and hands-on uh, practice of everyday loving with that love, that agape love, is what this is all about. There it is. Abounding love. Abounding love. It was Peter who said it in 1 Peter chapter 1. We studied this uh, over a year ago. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. A pure heart, a clean heart, a heart that's been washed in the blood of Jesus, a heart that's prayed up and is right with God. With a pure heart fervently, that's passionately. So there ought to be some purity in our love. There ought to be some passion in our love. But it's not just a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is a decision that we make down deep. I'm looking in our, this is our bylaws right here. Central Baptist Church, our church covenant. And uh, in the section where it speaks instrument two of the church covenant, you know how those always start out, being led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus and so on and so forth. The last paragraph says this, we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rule of our Savior to secure it without delay. I like that. Got my hand raised. How many of you have, since you've been a part of this fellowship, this church, you have sensed that kind of brotherly kindness, brotherly love from others? Yes, amen. Amen. That's not the only reason why people come to church here. A lot of folks choose to come to church here because they're sick and tired of some guy standing up and saying, well, the Bible's not correct. It should say this instead of that. I don't know what kind of fool stands up in the pulpit and does a thing like that. I would want to get as far away. I would not want to be in that church when the lightning strikes. People come here because the Bible is honored, respected, loved, held high. People come to this church because we want to please the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify Him. People come here for a variety of reasons. And in those reasons, among those reasons, but not the exclusive reason, should be that it is a family, a body of believers who love the Lord first with all their heart, soul, and mind. And then secondly, the second great commandment is that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Amen. Now, how do we manifest that? I want us to examine that tonight. I want us to get down to the nuts and bolts of this abounding love Paul writes about here and how we can, you know, put feet to this. I don't want to just speak of it. I want when we are through the word of God, the Holy Spirit driving this deep into our heart causes a change in our behavior so that we are motivated. We are motivated to do this for all the right reasons. Let's pray right now. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I can't preach this message and do it justice, but with your fullness, Lord, I pray that somebody, that everyone, all those viewing tonight out there, those who will view it in the future will get it, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, this is not just a feeling. This is a growing, put it down, discerning love. 
a growing, discerning love. The Bible never focuses on just having good feelings. Now, I've often said this. When I, when I, was, when I was talking with my sister, now pray for my sister, pray for my brother. Uh, you know, mom went to heaven this past October, and uh, since then, uh, my family, we're, we're, I don't want to make it sound like a bunch of geriatrics, even though we are, but, uh, you know, my mother always used to, there she was 103 plus, and she would say, I just feel so bad that I gave birth to and raised so many sick children. <laughs> well, mom, we're still here. I'm still going. I can do 10 rounds. I'm okay. But my sister, as you know, for 40 years, she's had MS. That's a long time, Jean, to have MS. 40 years. And she's started to draw up her bones and everything. Uh, as There are side effects that you have from the MS, and there are side effects that you have that are comp complicated by the things you have to take for MS. And so by the time you get done, there are a lot of other issues. And she has never in 40 years slowed down except for the fact that she moves slow. Vicki, she, she, you would beat her in a race. There you go. You'd get, you'd get the ribbon. All right, so she, she's, had, she's had this difficulty, but until they moved recently, she would go in all the time to the ladies' prison and do prison ministry. Ed, I want you to know, she, she did that. She's an author. She, she wrote a little children's book, Critters in the Hollow or something like that, yeah. And uh, great, great servant of the Lord. But uh, I found out that she's got this drawing up so now she can't swallow and keep down food that will help her to gain weight. So she's, she's, she's got a consequence that many people would like to have, and that is she's losing weight like crazy. And she's getting right down there where it's going to be deadly. And so... Our sister-in-law, my brother's wife, Dale, texted Gwendolyn and told about that situation. So I got on the phone with her. And we got talking, and we got enjoying, and we got laughing about things, about God and how good God is and funny things that happened in our life and with our, you know, family. You know, I mean, there's plenty of things to smile and laugh about. We, we of course, raised in a preacher's home and so on and so forth. And I said... I said to her, you know what? If we were Pentecostal, this is where we'd speak in tongues. And she started laughing. We're not Pentecostal. And we had the Holy Ghost before there ever was a Pentecostal. So, amen. So, I just want you tonight to understand that love is more than just feelings. It's okay to feel good. But it's growing and it's discerning. The focus of true love is based in the Bible, and it's knowledge. You say, how can it be knowledge? If you really love someone, you want to know them better. Come on. Why do you love Jesus? You say, because He saved me. Don't you want to know about that then? Don't you want to know about Him? You say, I, I, I don't understand why He would love me. Andre Crouch wrote a song, I don't know why Jesus loved me. And Andre, let me tell you right now, I don't either. In fact, nobody does. We just know 
that that love didn't emanate because we're such a great catch. It emanated because God, God's love is that kind of love. It emanated from God. That's where agape love comes from. And because He first loved us and saved us, I want to know about it. If somebody had pulled me out of the water, I'd want to know about the lifeguard. I want to know more about the person that saved my life. If somebody you know, pulled me out of a burning building, I want to know about that. I would like to get to know that person. I'd like, like to do something for them. I'd like to spend some time to show my appreciation. And that's where we are as believers. Because He's done all that for us. We have a love that came from Him that is based in knowledge. In knowledge. That's it. It is, I guess it is empowered by judgment. This word judgment, in all judgment, is similar to discernment. It's intelligence. If we truly love, then we want to know about that person. We want to know more and more and more about that person. We're not satisfied just to know what we know today. We want to know more tomorrow. We want to know more the next day. And I want to know more about Jesus, don't you? I want to know more, more about Jesus. What I learn? That's why we come to church. There's someone that had the audacity in our former ministry. Didn't stay very long, but he stood in the back like he kind of owned the back. Like that was his real estate. You ever know somebody that kind of owned a portion of the building in their mind? You kind of stand back there, and he says, there's nothing you can teach or preach that I don't already know. And, you know, I wanted to, to give him a smart answer, but the, but the Spirit of Christ didn't allow me to say what I was thinking at that moment. So God forgive me for what I was thinking. I hate to even bring it up again, but somebody said, well, there's nothing you can teach me that I don't already know. And he was half right. There was nothing I could teach him. But the person who says, come on, just preacher, come on, give it to me. Ed, I know you've got people in your Bible studies like that. They come, and they're just, they're just hungry. They're the ones that got the beat-up Bibles, right? The ones that got, it's all marked up, and they just, come on, I want, I want to learn. Let me, what was that again? Let me write that down. What was that again? And they're just, just hungry, hungry to know more about Jesus. And tonight, we need to give ourselves a self-test and check it off. Do you want to know more about Jesus? What, what, uh, what do you know more about Jesus this month or this week, this day, than we did before? We need, we need to be in the Word of God. And we need to be so in the Word of God that we hear, I heard something new. She had Alexander Scorpion today. It was in Exodus. And I heard something brand, was it? Was it? Leviticus. It was Leviticus, okay. And it was chapter 24, I think. But anyway, uh, in in that reading today, Alexander Scorby, I happened to just walk in for a moment. It wasn't my devotional time. It was her devotional time, so I kind of felt like I was invading. But, you know, he's everybody's Alexander Scorby. So, I mean, I walked in there, and, and I heard him say that in the sabbatical year, the year when you let everything rest, you don't prune your vineyards. And I said, wow, that's a message. Preacher, there's a message in that. There's a message in that. Why would we let something rest a year and not prune it? But think about pruning. When Jesus talked about, in John chapter 15, about, about pruning so that we bear more fruit and so on and so forth, when you talk about agriculture and agricultural principles, the one truth about pruning is it hurts. The end result is a good result, but the process hurts. 
You know what that tells me? All I could think about was mercy. Mercy. Why, those, those, those vines didn't get pruned back during that sabbatical year. And if there was a year of jubilee, Gabe, not only the 49th year, but the 50th year, two years back to back, they didn't have to go through that pain. Praise the Lord. How many of you had pain in your life? Raise your hands. Now, let me, let me just tell you, I'll tell you emphatically, you didn't have pain because God's cruel. You didn't have pain because God's just licking his chops and saying, ah, I'll give him some more pain, I'll give him some more pain. But the end result is, as we submit, as we yield to God, God's making us better. God's, God's honing us. He's helping us along the way. And that's why you had that operation. And that's why you lost that situation. And that's why that person was taken and so forth. Because God was honing us for greater service, to do more, to accomplish more. But in all of that, even though there's the pain of pruning, guess what? There's the sabbatical year. There's the year of Jubilee. That's a double and you get mercifully spared that pruning. I guess I just preached the message. I'm sorry. There's a lot. That can be developed, though. Amen. And I'm thinking to myself, there's more about Jesus I want to know. I want to know more about Jesus. When I was growing up, I had an impression of Jesus Christ because somebody painted a portrait of a guy and said, that's a picture of Jesus, and we know it's not. <clears throat> but everybody identifies with that one. We were up in the hills of Alabama, moonshine country, and I, I made the mistake. It wasn't a mistake, but it was the truth. I stood up in the pulpit, and I said, nobody's ever seen Jesus. Nobody knows what Jesus looks like. And lady in the back, she held up her Bible and says, I did too. I got a picture of him right here in the middle of my Bible because somebody painted a picture of what they thought Jesus looked like. But I have to believe that there were times when Jesus took the little children that he smiled. But I've never seen an illustration by any famous, you know, Renaissance painter of Jesus smiling at the children. If he is God-man, and he is God-man, then he has the capacity to pick up a little child and smile and say, this is the way y'all have to be. Simple like this child. He puts that little one down. The one looks up and says, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And that's us. More about Jesus. More about Jesus. Love has to do with discernment. It has to do with approving things that are excellent, as we've seen here. There are so many messages in these three verses, I don't have time to preach them tonight. It's not just enough to know what's right and wrong. Yes, we do teach our children right from wrong. We do exercise right from wrong. But there are times when a choice must be made, not on the basis of right versus wrong, but good, better, best. Excellent rather than okay. And I want my love for Jesus to be expressed in excellence, not just in good or better. I want it to be the best. That's it. A growing love approves things that are better than just good. Excellent. Excellent. The more we love the Lord, the more we choose the excellent over the good. The more we love each other, the more we choose the excellent and the best for the other. Even if that means stepping back and say, you go first.
Abraham. Lot, I'm going to give you a choice. I'll give you this high ground or you can have the well-watered plains. And he said, oh, I want the well-watered plains. Give me the plains. Give me the plains. Even though wicked, nasty Sodom was down there. What did Abraham do? He didn't pull rank. He didn't say, now, I've been around a little longer than you. I've got a little more seniority. He said, go ahead. And God blessed Abraham. The Bible doesn't say that Lot was a friend of God, though I'm sure God was very friendly to Lot. But the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. He was faithful. He was full of faith. He operated in truth. And he showed the preference of excellence for the other one instead of himself. He deferred. He preferred others ahead of himself. A growing love is sincere and pure as we see here as well. Now that word pure is interesting. Did you ever have to sift through something to get out of it what you were trying to get and you had to discard the other? There are different ways of doing it with the, with the chaff and the wheat. They, they have a system of throwing it up in the air and the wheat which is heavy comes down and the chaff blows away. And there are methods of sifting things uh, that, especially for those of you that are into um, cuisine, you know what I'm saying. The pure love is one that has been sifted. And how do you sift it? That is, we determine that this would not be excellent for that other person. This would not be our best for Jesus. And we sift it out. We sift it out. Now, there is no room for us to take that which is less than our best and put it aside for maybe another day. Because you never know why we need to save for a rainy day and put this over here. Now, it's not my best. It's not that which is excellent. But I'm going to put it over here because there may come a day when I'm short on stuff. And so I'll just, I'll, I'll dust this off and I'll give this, you know, kind of like leftovers. I'll give this to God. I'll give this to my brother or sister because, I, you know, I'll just keep this back over here. No, it's sifted out. It's sifted out. When we make a decision to give God our best, we don't keep the okay over here just in case. When we decide to prefer our brother or sister over ourselves, we don't keep something back here just in case, well, if they do me wrong, then I'll, I'll keep this. I'll keep. No, we sift it out. Our love is to be a purified love. It is to be an expanding, ever-growing, abounding love. And growing in that love that we have for the Lord and for others will cause us to not want somebody else to stumble over us even when we have the legal right. Paul could have said, no, 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 no. You need to, you need to, you need to absolutely demand your rights. And you go ahead and you go in that meat market and you buy that discounted meat that's perfectly good but has been offered to idols and don't you worry about it. You, you uh, of Jewish background, you go ahead and go into that Corinthian market, that marketplace, and you get that cheap meat and you go ahead and eat it and enjoy it because it's your right. You demand your rights. Paul didn't say that. He said, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat it. He was not talking about vegetarianism as a way of life. 
He was talking about a particular scenario in which purchasing that meat, which had been symbolically offered to uh, pagan idols, pagan idols, wouldn't bother the Jews because they were never pagan. They always worshipped, you know, the God of the Old Testament. And so the pagan idols, to them, it's just it's nothing. They know what the psalmist said. The psalmist says, all the, all the idols of, of so-and-so of the nations are, are, are just dead, dumb idols. So they, they didn't think about it being alive. They didn't think about the demon power. They didn't think about the, the fact that some pagan Gentiles had been enslaved for years to demonic pagan idols, and that meat which was being sold discounted was an offense to them because that's what they were saved out of. So Paul said, no, I'm not going to write you a letter about demanding your rights, but I'm going to write you an inspired letter from God that says, don't eat that meat if it causes those former pagans to stumble. That's it. That's it. It's not about what people have tried to make it out to be, some kind of application to those of us who have standards, and they call us legalists, as if we think, you know, dressing up for church somehow gives us points with God. Does anybody believe that here? Does anybody believe... The more I dress up, that gives me points, that gives me standing with God. How silly is that? And yet there are people who have decided that that's, that's our problem. And they're going to expose that problem by doing just the opposite. And it's going to be, you know, come any old way, even if it's immodest, even if it's inappropriate. And that's not the issue at all. That's not what's being covered in the scenario about the meat that was offered to idols. It's about real life circumstances where I'm going to say, I'm going to, defer, I'm going to prefer my brother or my sister over myself. I'm going to bring the best to Jesus. I am going to bring the best uh, for my brother or sister Christ. And I'm not going to do anything that will cause them to stumble. That's it. That's it. And I, I believe that. Here's a verse for us to memorize. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, that's the world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's in the word, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There it is. So verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Who's, who's going to get the glory? When... God's abounding love flows through us, and we love in the way that's been described in the Scriptures tonight. Then the Lord Jesus Christ gets all the glory. God the Father gets glory. And we don't get the glory. We don't draw it. We, we're here until the rapture, until God takes us out. And until that time, we have the honor and the privilege of being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And as, as our church covenant says 
we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. How important is that? That's why we're here, folks. That's why we're here. Do you know that today there's somebody who would be greatly blessed if we would just show that kind of love as the Lord would? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. And if you do not know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, then right now, would you call on the name of the Lord? Right now, pray something like this from your heart to God. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe that Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Say amen. Peace. Wonderful peace.